This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Good Things, the show where we talk to good people who are doing good things. I'm Dashran Johan. Sarah Irdina is the co-founder of Missy Solidarity, which is a youth-led organisation. They garnered attention in 2021 during the COVID-19 pandemic for being one of the many youth-led groups that organised the Lawan Rally during Tansri Muhyiddin Yassin's administration. Sarah, who was a 20-year-old college student at the time, was arrested and detained overnight under the Sedition Act. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hello, Dashran. Thank you so much for having me today. I want to start this conversation by talking about the Lawan rally that took place amid the pandemic, a rally that I myself attended, um, and this was July 31st, 2021. Now, there have been protests in Malaysia before, but what was this particular Lawan protest about and what's significant about it? I think Lawan was um, organised under very unique circumstances. It's ended during the pandemic and at that point of time, the government uh, was led by the Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin and he managed the pandemic terribly. The parliament was in session. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs. There was alarming COVID death rates, very, very worsening employment rates. And, and at that point, there was no no clear guideline to take care of the people of its people, and then there, and from all of that, there was initiatives like I think Bandera Putih Kita Jaga Kita initiative that came out of this to help each other, and this and then these initiatives also screams the unreliability of the government to take care of its people, and all of this and more reason it brought. Uh, Secretariat Solidarity Rakyat SSR, which is the the secretariat that the secretariat that um organized the Lawan rally, and the demands are we asked him to resign, and we wanted the parliament in full session, and uh also to end the emergency. Take me back, Sarah, to the week before the rally. What were the energy and emotions like in your meetings and discussions? Um, was it chaotic? Were y'all already feeling the pressure from the state? What were the, the what was the environment like in your in your discussion rooms? Um, and how were y'all organizing um, back then? Oh, it's definitely chaotic. <laughs> definitely very chaotic because the secretariat was comprised of many organizations. And it's very hard to, to have every single person say something in a very, very big meeting group. In, on the Google Meet, there's just so many people. And honestly, you don't even know who you're talking to. We just trust that these are the people from these organizations. And then there are people representing the organizations. And the meetings are mostly uh, online. Since there were a lot of people, it, it, we really needed... Um, uh, so it is a committee uh, to head the very, very big group. The secretary was organized in very hectic times. It, so it's not organized like an organization, nor was it like structured throughout it. I think there was just a lot of urgency to to organize. And I I was overwhelmed, but it feels like it feels like you're just caught up in a wave. That is how it, how it felt like for me. 
we were organizing around restrictions, the MCO. So I think when we organized, it was slightly lax, like you can go out, but you cannot go out too far, right? Uh, you, you have to have, if you want to cross the state, you need a letter and so on. So, so we had to organize uh, around these restrictions and really... Um, and that's okay that's that that's organizing around these restrictions and then there's um, the police because even prior to the even prior to the Lawan Rally itself so we had um, actions in between in between the announcement and the rally we had a flash mob and then we had a convoy so both of this the police was there right and so they were there to monitor us and if not try to stop us from continuing our our action. Take me back to July 29th, 2021, which was the day you got arrested under the Sedition Act. What were you doing at the time when you got arrested? I just woke up. I just woke up and I got a call from my mom. Um, the police are here at my house looking for you. I was like, what? I was in shock. I immediately uh, told the group that this is happening. And then they immediately uh, tried try to get a lawyer for me to negotiate with the police. So so the police were really pissed at me because um, my official address is, is not at my mom's house. Mm. So because like I moved around and then uh, so they went to that house. And then the person who was living there said that, okay, she's not here. She lives with like with the mom. And then he went to the mom's house and I wasn't there. I was staying with my aunt in in, in Wangsa Maju. And, and then they were pissed because they, because they came from HQ. They came from Bukit Aman and not from Dangwangi, which is uh, what was very different from other people that got called in that day. I was called uh, and my lawyer uh, had to negotiate with them like oh other people are being called up too so uh why not we just meet at that one year at that point and um definitely my 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 mom was really concerned she was she was definitely intimidated my mom was definitely scared into giving them my information right my information where i am what my number is and so on. So so they talked to me on the phone, like, you know, we and he 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 said to me, We've we've come a long way. Why where are you? <laughs> and and then I had to say that um I'm gonna give your number to my lawyer. So he's gonna negotiate and then like I was I was just risk I really didn't know what to do. I think I was 20 at this point. And all of this is very new to me, being being like organizing, uh being part of the uh the secretariat was like I, I really didn't feel equipped. And I felt like, oh my god, there's just keep on so many things that ha- that are happening, right? As I understand, there was also a, a raid at your home. So was this your parents' house? Um what did the police do um, and and how did everyone react to the raid that was happening? Because 
this is, like you said, something that's very new to you. You were only 20 and certainly something very new to your parents. But when we all went to Dangwangi, I, I got called into a different room, uh, separate because it was from the uh, different op- different police department, right? This is from the HQ. Um, I, I didn't know that I was arrested until I got handcuffed. When I went into the room, they they said I am gonna. They they asked me a bunch of questions, and then you you always answer. Say jawab di makama, and and then after that, I think after or before, basically they they read. Saya akan bacakan awak war waran hak orang ditangkap. I was like, huh? And I look at my lawyer like, huh? What? And he's like. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm not arrested. I guess like we're just going through this. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then like, and then I guess there was arrangement made. Like between, I was like, I was so shocked. I think I was just under shock most of the time. Right. And then um, I think when I was handcuffed and then like, okay, we're going to go, we're going we're gonna to go to your aunt's house now. And what I was like, what? Okay, I okay, because like you know, you I felt like it was all very real when I had no one else around me. When the lawyer left, when I was in the car, and and we're going to my aunt's house, that felt very very real. To, that that is only when it hits me, I am getting arrested because I was literally handcuffed. So, and then like we went to the to my aunt's house. They uncuffed me for a while. And then, okay, we went into my aunt's house and then they were looking for everything. They were going over all my stuff, looking for, basically, they're looking for electronics. And um, at that point, my phone was already uh, confiscated. I, I I had to give them my SIM, my SIM card, because they already called me on that SIM card, so I cannot give them another SIM card, mm. right? And then, uh, but it wasn't my phone. So the only thing that was actually mine that was uh taken away was uh I mean mine that I was using was the SIM card. Other than that, like there were so many phones that were taken away, you know, and we still haven't gotten them back until today. My aunt was crying, and my aunt lives with a friend, and then the, the other friend was concerned, and my aunt was crying. My so you know, you 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 are you're reading her home. You're raiding her home. You are violating people's boundaries. Like, you, you know, you're just violating our human rights. Absolutely. <laughs> boundaries at this point, you know. And there was no warrant whatsoever, right? It was just like, because we arrest you, we have the right to raid your house, right? There was no nothing, you know, because they, they want to catch you off guard, I guess. Um, And then my aunt was like, you know, is there anything you can do? Because I don't want to see you go to jail. Right. right like who wants to see who wants to see their niece who wants to see their daughter go to jail it's like so basically they're saying to my aunt that like i'm bringing this all to, onto myself like they keep on saying things that like you know blaming me right you know because your because your niece did this did this then he, you know if she cooperated she which she tell she tell us everything then then we wouldn't need to arrest her right and my aunt was like, oh my God, is there really nothing you can do like to say so you don't go to jail? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to sell out my friends. Mm. I'm not going to, you know, implicate myself. Like, and, and this is this is really intimidation tactics 
gone too far. And at this point, my aunt doesn't know I was arrested. I think uh, my ex, my boyfriend at the time, uh, informed my mom. Before I left the Dangwangi, I think uh, my lawyer at Chai, Chai mm-hmm. know that, you know, they're going to come to my house. So before they came to my house, like, uh, like uh, my ex and my and my. I think went to my house and then like kind of like took care of things. So my aunt knew, but you know, you you cannot be prepared for these things. And that happened like all within one hour right. or so, right? But after the raid, I can just imagine like, you know, it's one thing that I was feeling like that. Imagine, I don't know like how my aunt was going through that as well. But what was particularly terrible is that it's, it wasn't just an arrest but what happened was you went through something very harrowing during the investigation and during your, your time in lockup. Could you tell us ab- about that, what you went through during that time? So I was brought to Jinjang, had to wait to be processed. While waiting to be processed, had a lot of things being said to me. Mm. Like the wardens, like, why are you here? You know, And then started lecturing me about the constitution and all of that. Like, you know, you really, like, basically... All the all these state actors keep on uh telling me that it's my fault. They they said this, you know, of course there is freedom of speech, but this is where freedom of speech gets you. <laughs> and I'm like, do you guys do you guys hear yourself? Do you guys hear yourself? You guys are acknowledging that we live in an oppressive state, right? Mm-hmm. So having to sit through that and then I was made to strip. So because they need to see what what you have on you. And then uh, you couldn't wear your mask. The only thing you can keep on is your panties. That That's all. That felt so violating. I had to, I had to strip, right? And then change into lock-up clothes. I was, what is happening right now? Change into the purple lock-up clothes. And then, um, and then they put me in a cell. So that was terrible. That was, I, I just couldn't stop crying throughout this whole thing. So this whole thing, I just couldn't stop crying. I think by the end of like, I don't know, I felt like there was no oxygen in my brain whatsoever. They, they kept on like, you know, you should eat, you should knee. And then like, like okay, I'm not going to make them sound good. Basically, <laughs> basically, um, you know, the, the, the water come in plastic bags. They, they, they won't come in cups or anything. So you drink it from like a plastic, the water. So that was, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, was put into the cell. There was no doors. It's grills. And then there's a bathroom that, not a bathroom, there's just where you can pee that. And then there's, it's like a wall, half like that, that like, that comes up to your waist. I mean, I'm very short. So waist for me is very low. Right. Right. And then basically, if you walk through the grill, the, the, the cell, you can see me pee, and there was no pipe whatsoever. The lo- the long uh pipe getah tu, and but so so there's only the pipe where you open the water comes out. So you need to use it yourself to like wash yourself. Yeah, that was that was it, and it was so disgusting. It didn't it didn't felt clean, and then the place where you can lay down is just like. It's like a, a bed made out, made out of brick, made out of cement. And then on top of it, like it's like a plank, kind of. 
yeah and then you know on the walls you can see all of these writings uh by by uh previous prisoners who were, who were, who were locked up and it's very harrowing you know and i was just it was really just terrible on the show with me today is Sarah Irudina, co-founder of Missy Solidarity. This conversation will continue after the break. Keep it here on Good Things, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things. I'm Darshan Johan. And on the show with me today is Sarah Irudina, co-founder of Missy Solidarity. So, Sarah, could you take me back to your childhood? What was it like? Did your were you political growing up? Was did you grow up in a political like uh, activist minded kind of family? Um, did your parents talk about politics and social justice um, around the dinner table regularly? Not at all. Not at all political. Um, I think the most I felt like there was a discussion. I think at one point they were discussing the election and everyone was there and then I guess everyone was just disagreeing with each other and then they got kind of worked out. But it was very small. Uh, I think this, yeah. I also know that um, my mom used to go to the birthday protest with my late dad. Hmm. So that was interesting. That was interesting to know that you guys did that because, <laughs> yeah. And so... But I, but it wasn't political whatsoever. Like my upbringing, there was no discussion about social justice if it's not coming from me. Right. Yeah. So how did your journey as an activist begin? What was the the moment? Because all of this happened when you were twenty. What yeah. was the moment that made you go? Okay, I need to become an activist. There was no such moment that says I need to become an activist. Right. I think growing up, I think I think where, the age where I felt like I need to, where when all of this anger came to me was because um I went through things that made me feel very at risk, felt very vulnerable and very angry of like what's done to me. And it felt like there was no place to channel this anger, right? Other than just educate, like you know, knowing what what happened to me, understanding what happened to me, and also, um, you know, just and then that's that, and then that's the internet, right? You know, you figure out what's happening to other people too, and then you you figure out more, you figure out more, you figure out more, then you get you get more angry, right? But that was, I felt very repressed growing up. Uh, in terms of politics now but but really right the, like politics is part of your life mm-hmm. and it felt like you know that, that like you're like you're choked up you cannot and then you cannot really do anything and then this went on for a very long time like throughout all my teenage years and then I really wanted to volunteer right. <laughs> because I thought that was that was like that was the only thing you could do to contribute and to make things better. And this was like when I was 16. I was very frustrated that you need to be 18 and above to volunteer. I remember being so frustrated. Why can't I? Right. Why can I sign up for these things? I had to wait. So the second I turned 18, I was signing up. <laughs> like, bitch, let me volunteer. Why are you waiting and you let me volunteer before? You know? So when I was, when I turned 18, I guess I, you know, finished finish SPM and then started my foundation. Then I think I met friends in university that were very outspoken, very like, they want to do something as well. So like it's a group of people who all are very angry. I was 18 when I went uh, into foundation. 
uh, and then like I started, I was already going to protest. It was the first time I went to a protest when I was 18. You see, the second I turned 18, I was doing everything. <laughs> like I couldn't do this before. I was really upset that I couldn't, you right. know, but the extent of it, mm-hmm. uh, that I thought that I could do, I could, I could go to protest and I volunteer. It's very important to me at that time. I needed to volunteer because I need to channel this anger somewhere. I guess what, because when you say the word activist, right, mm-hmm. you 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 associate it with organizing, you know, uh, organizing people, you know, right. not just not just you know not just yourself. I didn't realize I was an activist even. I think it's something that like it, it's hard to call yourself even. But I guess like if you want to say something about what I did, I guess I'm an activist, you know, because like it's such a like it's easy for is it for you to describe other people as an activist, but it's very hard, like because you know it all you always feel like you're not doing enough. Right. How can you call yourself an activist? Because like there's always more to do, right? right? But you certainly are an activist, an incredibly inspiring person as well. How did Missy's solidarity come about? Thank you for Um, so I met a group of people. Missy Solidarity also didn't come about. Uh, we are gonna start an organization right. like that. So you know, like things memang that don't happen like that. It happens without you even knowing. And like, oh, we're we're an organization now, I guess. Um, basically, it was a group of friends. Um, I go to, um, University of Nottingham, in Sydney, um, and a group of us. I think one of our founding members wanted to organize a rally, a pride rally. And we're like, I don't think we can do that. We're going to put a lot of people at risk. We're 19 at that time. So much anger. So much like, I want to do this. And then we're like, babe, I think we need to take a step back. Out of like that friends persistent of wanting to organize, we organized a, an event instead, which we did. This remains the most impressive thing I did. <laughs> because like when I look back, like I did that when I was 19, when I didn't know anything. Right. I organized an event in like two, three weeks. We got people wow. to come, we got people to we got people to speak. Um the event is called Valentine's for All. There, there's a space to express yourself and discuss. We had Matt, Matt from Swaram at that time. He came and talked about uh police and power about how to prepare yourself because it's very important right uh, especially for vulnerable groups marginalized groups it's it's the first time for me to organize an event like that you know it was just a group of us it was three four of us i think that like that that organized the event and then we we consulted some people and then you know how like what also I realized at that point that like I would have not been able to do that if my friend didn't have connections because I didn't. My friend knew knew how to read knew know like you know his parents like were in touch with already these people and then that's why like how we could have them. So we organized that in like less than three weeks. We had people come, we had all of this going on and it was all in all a very successful event. Yeah and then we kind of introduced Missy Solidarity as, a, as an initiative, not an organization. Like we, we're going to call ourselves Missy Solidarity and we're going to figure things out from here. But there wasn't really, nothing was fleshed out. It was just, oh, Missy Solidarity. 
you know <laughs> and then after that i think we we started making our twitter account uh instagram i think the first tweet we did it blew up <clears throat> we i was so impressed like um we because we started out with ipcmc right ipcmc and then right after that uh we did so basically lawyers for liberty has a documented five very gruesome deaths um by the like death in custody and basically what i but what I, what we did what i did we i was reading through this and then basically i summarized it into into an infographic and then we posted up and then that got so much retweets that 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 really went viral and you know i remember that experience of reading that you know and then putting them into infographics was really really difficult it was really really difficult because it, it feels like every single word is important right and then that went and then i guess we just kept on posting stuff we did stuff and then at one point people kept on joining us mm-hmm. we had our friends join us okay friends hey you should join us you should join us we're just collecting people and then at one point oh no now we need to be organized <laughs> oh no and at one point we realized that okay we cannot we cannot act like this is some friend friend things anymore we we need to be slightly structured and then at the height of it i think we had like 50 people Sarah, how do you reflect on the pandemic period? Because it really seemed, at least now, like a lightning in a bottle moment. You know, you had the revitalization of youth activism in Malaysia. So many people, young people especially, were so angry at the conditions of our country at the point, um, the handling of the pandemic. Um, you had the emergence of many new ngos many um organizations whether it's online or grassroots oriented um there was loads of organizing and mobilizing then there was the undi 18 movement which was already also coinciding with with that period and mm-hmm. then there, there was the formation of muda after lanka sheltered you know so many things were happening how do you reflect on that moment in that period so i don't know how much it really was a difference like i i i don't know how to measure it you know i don't i don't know how to measure it like with the past right but i know and i wasn't and that wasn't really a concern to me at that, at that point as well uh but i know but like being in that moment itself it it felt very fast it felt very chaotic it felt like missis soldat itself was very fast paced very everything is just urgent and then because we were and missis already was also organized in such unique circumstances right the only reason we could come together was because it was the pandemic if it's in any other circumstances i don't i don't i don't think it would have happened mm-hmm. as as like that you know people felt so much urgency and then they need to do something and i guess this applies to this the new csos uh because yeah you know so many things are happening at that point so you know you need you need something when you know something what's the word a catalyst is it something really terrible happen and then a lot of things follow up and that is how very rapid change happen like especially um especially because there's so many significant events terrible terrible events happen during the pandemic if i reflect i think that that's like the reason why there was so much going on at that point 
It was a movement that came out of the conditions of that time. Yes, yes, yes. You put it better than me. After getting arrested and all, it kind of died down a bit for me because like, I think I was very burnt out because it was, I don't know, it felt like it was almost two years of constantly being like, it's urgent, 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 you know, you, 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 you know, imagine like living like that. I was, I was, it, I was basically working 24 seven, you know, and, you know, and Missy Solidarity wasn't the only thing that I was working on because I was working as well. And then like after that, um, 2022, yeah, 2022, and then some things happened in uh in the activism scene which made me feel very disheartened and contribute to that burnout as well and and then like everyone was very burnout as well and everyone was also also took took everything that happened very personally because i mean how could you not right everything that has happened is a threat to your community you went through so much what happened to me happened to my organization right and what happened to me happened happened to a lot of people too because you know I didn't know I was going to get arrested. Before me getting arrested, my my friend Sharon got called into questioning and we were all shocked. She's 20 at that point in time, right? You never expect these things to happen to you. And I guess if you ask me whether it fizzled out, I think there was just much more urgency then that that pushed a lot of things to happen, right? Just like, um, just like, um, the global strike for Palestine right now, right? You know, there's urgency every single day because something has been happening for a very long time. Yeah. And you can feel that urgency very, very clearly. And that urgency doesn't come every day. Yeah, I guess that's the difference, I guess. And what I was getting to after, I think like when things die out, like I I think I took a step back. I, I definitely took a step back. I started my... uh. I started my undergraduate life. So I was, you know, juggling all these priorities. What is it I want, right? right? And also recovering, not even sure if I recovered, yeah. I also know that you have also worked and perhaps continue to work um, behind the scenes with Party Socialist Malaysia. Um, how did that come about and what has that taught you? I interned at PSM when I was 19, towards the end of 2020, I think. And I shadowed Sivarajan. I was following him around. Like I really learned a lot, genuinely, out of all the internships I've done or work I've done. Like I really learned a lot. I really, I think I learned the most. PSM, it was really honestly life-changing to me. I really learned a lot. And I really didn't know a lot of things. Basically, there's a lot of older people in PSM, but I've never really felt the age gap. You know, which was very interesting to me because I think I felt that every single time out of like PSM. You're treated in a way that you're a valuable partner of our community. Lo. It's like, you know, but I have a huge respect for you for what you've done and so on. Yeah. And then I learned a lot about organizing in terms of like I followed Sivarajan around and then I also went to pair up for a week. I was like, Sarah, you're going to pair up for a week? You're gonna, you're gonna, <laughs> you're, gonna you're gonna go. Um you're gonna uh, follow Yishan around. You're gonna follow Doctor Jai around, and then and then I think Kesovan as well, and who like brought me around. And genuinely, the the internship really felt like I'm here to receive some knowledge, and I am here to learn. I think I stayed with Yishan and I stayed with Karti in Pera. Yeah, 
there was some land grabbing, there was some exploitation with the unions. That we met the lorry driver union, we met the paper union. I didn't know there was a paper union. <laughs> what did it teach you the experience? I mean, about community organizing um, and grass at the grassroots level and class struggle. Definitely, how everyday action is what matters. Mm-hmm. Everyday the lawan ready light right it's like a very big scale action right and it was the whole like the whole thing was about um you need to like it's kind of like we, we put in a lot of um i think i mentioned this before in another interview that like you you put in you put in a lot of effort to like convince people to to count, believe that this is happening to you come and come and join this protest now you know, so it's a lot of convincing. And then I, I realized the differences between community organizing. It's not about convincing people, but more of like empowering people. And, you know, that, that is how things should should be. It's it's a lot more meaningful when the the everyone that comes there are empowered. It's not just one person convincing everyone there is a problem. Right. Everyone feels like this is a problem and we all need to do something about it, right? That is what what I felt when I was following um, Sivarajan and going to Pera because, you know, we 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 did we did a post-Lanai campaign where they were going to build them and then, like, you know, it was it was really affecting the, uh, the, the Orang Asli community in Pahang and and you know, like going like like that was a very significant experience for me as well in terms of like you know listening to Sivarajan talk and like organize. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like he is trying to convince. It's just like you know you you're there as part of the community. You you're there to, you're there to communicate and be part of this be part of this problem and then you know there was no savior moment whatsoever which is very important to me which is very like you know because that is not what you want right you're not trying to save people like really like i think that's a very i think people get caught up in that definitely trying to be heroes yes trying to be heroes trying to that is why um i feel very when you say activist, you know, I, I don't really, because like, you know, it sometimes people associate it with, you know, I'm the hero of the community, but things are not like that, right? And then I learned that, you know, you shouldn't, you, as, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, that's what you should not do. And this is what organizing looks like. This is what empowering the community looks like. And I really agree. I really agree with the, with the way they organize. And that is how I would like to organize. I really, I really, really dislike it, I feel really out of place when when we let's say because there are a lot of forums like this. I've been part 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 of like you know discussion when you talk about other people. We need to do this for them. We need to do this for them. And and you know it's such a stark contrast, right? Like you know you you don't wanna you don't wanna speak for the community, and and you are you know you need to like all of this should be you know people really should you know especially people who are you know, it's very easy to slip your mind that you might be speaking for other people and, you know, that that really is not your job. And and that's a very, very big lesson to me in PSM that, like, you know, 
um it is like to me it's like i learned that this is what it means to be part of the community and to be very proactive and you know to be a part of the community is not just happy happy things right it's not just Today we eat together, tomorrow we eat together, today we cook together. You know, you know, it's not just that. It's that, you know, something happens to something happens to our community. You know, it happened to all of us. We're gonna do everything to take care of the community because that's what matters, right? And you know, when you talk about protests, um, you know, PSM have protests every other day. Right. You know, I, I didn't know that and at one point, like there's the hospital contracting, and then there's the, the one that we were at the bank, you know, and like you know, and then I re- also realized that, like, you know, protest also doesn't have to be always big scale, you know, that's, you know, protest can happen every day. Yeah, so I really, I think the biggest lesson, it really, it really showed me, because it's one thing to know that you are part of community. Um, It's like, you know, like on a normal day, like, you know, just in our private life, it's like, you know, something happened to our friend, right? We're going to take care of our friend. And we cannot just if something really bad happened to them, then we cannot just be sorry. We cannot just empathize, right? We're going to, if something happened to them, we're going to fight for them, right? Like, let's say my friend, because the other day did, you know, my friend got scammed. She <laughs> got scammed. And she was at a very vulnerable place. You know, you're going to go to the police station with her. You're going to do all of these things with her, right? That is what you do for your close friends, right? You would, you would be very proactive. So I think this applies to the, to our larger community as well, lah, because I have no doubt that every like we we care about we care about our communities, lah. It's just that I think PSM really made it clear to me how that should look like. I want to end with this. Um, I read your interview with Pusat Sejarah Rakyat, and you said something in particular that really struck a chord with me. And you said, um, that usually it's you know people are fueled by anger. Um, and not fueled by care. And it's very different when you're fueled by care. And and you are talking about, you know, protesting, organizing, um, activism in, in general. Um, and this is very interesting because anger is a very powerful catalyst. Um, you yourself throughout this conversation have talked about how important anger is or how angry people were when they, you know, they took to the streets and and all of that. It's a very impo- powerful catalyst. But why is it important to also be fueled by care? I didn't realize that I said that until after the interview. You know, I think I was very worked up from the interview and I didn't even realize that. Like, man, I recalled so much because that interview took like place at the end of last year, which is, you know, um, almost two years after what happened, right? And I think my friend, my friend Sharon, really articulated like what I said much better. So I'm gonna say what she said. Mm-hmm. She she put it much, much in she I guess it's much more nicer words. It's like she said that action fueled by anger is a cup to drain from and action fueled by care is the ocean we drink from. And I'm like man that's beautiful. You, know what? you put you put it so much better than me. <laughs> so what I meant by that, I think like all of this um realization only it only struck to you after all of this it doesn't come to you it's not something like you know you read this and then you will like you will internalize this you you will internalize it right right, right. you know you, you read you read that quote like yes i internalize <laughs> these emotions right if right. only <laughs> yeah yeah so it's not like that like, it comes from very very personal feelings for me it comes from a very reflection a very deep reflection on what i value 
you know, what I realized that, you know, it should have happened, should have not happened, you know, it, it comes with, you know, a lot of error, trial and errors, right? So what I meant by like, how being fueled by anger and fueled by care is very different, because I would say that, uh, I think this, you can connect this to what I said about PSM just now, uh, about how I learned how, how community organizing should take place. I think that the that the Lawan rally big like it, it comes off out of anger. I'm angry, I'm gonna go do this. Which should be part of like which should be part of your organizing. But like if that anger, like but you if you're not fueled by care, right? If if that anger like acts alone, then it's not gonna be sustainable. It, it's it's gonna end there, right? That the 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 anger the 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 action ends there. Which is what you see, right? If if there was that if there's no empowered communities, if there's no um if there's no continuous solidarity, it, it wouldn't be sustainable. That anger runs out. It runs out, it makes you burn out. And that's definitely what happened to me. Um that you know, I was so angry for two years straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I had. <laughs> you know, and there wasn't I wish you know building the framework for care is a very difficult thing, right? But 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 you know you have to realize this in order to take care of your community, and it's it's something that I really only realize in hindsight, not something that you know you can realize it right away because now all my friends are burnt out mm-hmm. because you know we were all angry. There was no, it was you know because everything was so urgent, we forgot to take care of each other. You know, and that is how that anger runs out. It becomes, it, it makes you, you know, it makes you very desensitized, like to all this pain, right? So it's not sustainable whatsoever. So I, so I'm saying that anger must be accompanied with care. That's why community organizing is very, very important because it, it makes it like it's it's sustainable, right? You're organizing in a very sustainable way. So even when you're angry, even when you organize legislative process, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna keep on because solidarity is is stable. It's gonna continuously be there because I think what contributes to someone's burnout is because there's hundred percent lack of care, you know, lack of care, lack lack of community, you know, because that really is what drives um sustainable change. Law. After all, a wise man once said, "A true revolutionary is guided by a great feeling of love." Sarah Irina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Sarah Irina, co-founder of Missy Solidarity. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, Spotify, Apple, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Good Things, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.